Hey, do you remember when you used to know what was cool? Do you remember how easy it used to be to know what was cool and what wasn't cool? I remember that when I was a kid, it was very obvious. I knew exactly who was cool, who wasn't cool. I was not cool, but I knew what was cool. I knew the people who were cool. It was just easy back then. For instance, I knew that wearing glasses was not cool, right? I grew up, I have terrible eyesight even today, and so I had to wear glasses all the time growing up. We didn't really have contacts and things like that, and so I had to wear big, thick Coke bottle glasses, and I knew I was not cool because I was forced to wear these giant glasses every single day. Uh, When I was a kid, this is like the early 80s times, you know, let's say uh, when I was growing up, it's like nobody ever talked about comic books the way that they do today. Have you ever considered that? Do you remember those times where nobody would talk about comic books because that was for the nerds? Only the nerdiest of nerdy kids would ever talk about the Avengers or Justice League? Seriously? Do you know what you would get if you talked about comic books when I was a kid? You got a wedgie. That's what you got. Nobody was talking about those things. They existed, but only the nerdiest of the nerds would ever even talk about those sorts of things. Seriously, reading was not cool. Science was not cool. Computers were not cool. When I was growing up, it's like you just wanted to do everything you could to fit in. You didn't want to stand out. You didn't want to be labeled as a geek or a nerd or a dork or a dweeb or whatever crazy uh, name we could come up with for those type of people. And we would do our best to fit in instead of standing out. Now, in 2017, it's like the whole thing has been flipped upside down, isn't it? Like today, nerd culture is cool culture. It's like everybody can talk about Marvel versus DC. Everybody's got their opinions about this character or this plot line or this group coming together in movies and in comic books and things like that. Everybody talks about those sorts of things. Um, I was reading an article by one of the largest magazines in North America, and they they had this huge kind of like highlight article where they talked about the fact that Dungeons and Dragons is the big game experience for 2018. D&D, Dungeons and Dragons. What kind of dorks play D&D, you guys? Like this kind, but we're not going to talk about that, okay? It's like the things that were so uncool when I was growing up have been completely flipped around, and so now it's like cool again. It's the neat thing. It's the nerd thing. It's stylish to wear glasses, you know? If you look at the coolest people in pop culture, they've got like crazy round glasses that in the 80s and 90s, we would have been like, oh gosh, how can you ever wear those things? Our pants are going higher. Our, you know, the, the, the water line of our hem is going up, up, up. It's like no matter what we do, the things that we used to think were cool and awesome are no longer. And the things that we thought were so dorky and nerdy and we would never be caught dead in them, now they're the cool things. Let me tell you, I'm not complaining about this, okay? I don't want you to get the wrong idea and I don't want you to think that I'm like the grandpa complaining about the kids. I don't understand the music these days. I don't understand the music, just to be clear. But uh, it's not that I'm complaining. I'm not like grumbling or grumping about the way things are. That's just how it is. Things change over time. Culture tends to transform. The patterns of what we think are normal or ordinary or cool or whatever word we want to use, they tend to change over time, don't they? The things that we thought were cool aren't. The things that we never thought we would like, suddenly we're like, oh yeah, I'll wear those clothes because it looks cool to me. The point that I'm trying to make here 
It's that the world we live in, the culture that we swim in every single day, it is constantly changing. You can be cool one day and not the next. You can be uncool today and suddenly the script flips and you are cool again uh, because you've chosen the right thing or you're following things as closely as you can. The world around us, it's fickle. It is hard to know when it's going to switch, when we're going to fit in, when we're going to stand out. And if we work too hard to fit in, to gain like the admiration and affirmation of the world around us, we can find ourselves in trouble pretty quickly because the culture is constantly changing. The things that we think are awesome and good and worthwhile and will make you popular, whatever it might be, those things change so often that if we put all of our energy into gaining acceptance, being cool, whatever it is that it might be, then we can end up finding ourselves left out. Because as soon as we think we've got it, we've all of a sudden lost it. The world, the culture around us, it is hard to keep up with. It is very, very hard to please. Now, this doesn't just apply to kids and being cool. We're not just talking about like pop culture. We're not just talking about fashion. We're just not talking about, you know, choosing the right music or things like that. Those of us who are adults, we're just as bad. It is just as likely that we will try to gauge the success or the happiness of our lives based on notions of romance and success and wealth and all of these different things. It's like we chase and chase and chase what the world tells us will make us happy. And as soon as we're just that close from getting it, things change and we're left trying to play catch up yet again. So this is why the call that Jesus gives us is so incredibly important, because Jesus places a call on our lives. He extends an invitation to us to live differently. He tells us to not only value different things, but he actually tells us to value things differently, that Jesus calls us to step out of the cultural race, trying to keep up with everybody else, what they're doing, trying to make them happy, trying to you know, present yourself as one of the in people, one of the successful people, one of those sorts of folks. And Jesus invites us to step out of that stream and to step into something that's more meaningful something that will outlast that. In fact, we could say it like this, and we're gonna dig into this thought throughout our message this morning. Jesus actually invites us to invest our lives in something that will outlast our lives. Rather than trying to keep up, rather than trying to be cool, rather than trying to be successful, rather than trying to be well-respected and looking like you have it all together, Jesus offers us the invitation to just push that aside and instead to invest our lives into something that will outlast our lives. As we wrap up this series, The Art of Being Unordinary, this morning, I want you to understand that this invitation, it really does apply to anyone. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what skills you have or don't have, no matter what you think or don't think, despite your doubts, despite your assurances, it doesn't matter. The invitation that Jesus gives us to live a different sort of life, to be unordinary, it literally extends to every single person in our world. Jesus calls us 
to invest our lives into something that will outlast our lives, something eternal instead of something temporary and fickle and changing like the culture around us. So this morning, I want to actually direct your attention to a scripture from the book of Luke. And we're going to dive into it. And I think this is a really fascinating scripture. This will apply to you directly. It's the story of these uh, men who became followers of Jesus. And the interesting thing is that Jesus chose these men, and they're not really the people that you would expect. They're normal, everyday, average people, just like you and I. But because they were willing to follow after Jesus, there are incredible things that ended up happening in them and through them. So let's look at Luke chapter number 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 as we kind of parse through this story. We'll read it all together. We'll read all 11 verses so you get the whole story. And then we're going to go through and we're going to kind of work our way a couple verses at a time. And uh, I promise you, this is a very fascinating passage of Scripture. The Bible says one day, and let me give you just a bit of context before we dive in too quickly. This is very early on in Jesus' ministry. So he's only been, you know, um, doing ministry. He's only been teaching and preaching for a short amount of time, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month at most. So this is really, really early on in his ministry. The scripture says one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left the boats and were washing their nets. So stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, also called Peter, he asked the owner to push it out into the water, the boat. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Just so you understand what's going on here. Jesus is walking through the the Jewish countryside. People are kind of like following him. They want to hear from him. And because it's ancient times, there's no amplification. There are no stages and lights and things like that. Jesus is just talking along the shore of this giant lake. And people are crowding in. They want to hear. And so they're jockeying for position and they're getting close. Pretty soon, Jesus is backed up to the water's edge. And he's like, okay, okay, I need some space. And so he finds a boat. He steps into the boat. He asks the owner, a guy named Simon Peter, to put out from the shore a little bit so that people will be right there on the shoreline. He can talk to them and it's not so hectic and crazy. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where the water is deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. That makes me feel good, just, you know, as a quick aside, because I am the world's worst fisherman. Simon Peter was a professional fisherman and he still was not having a good day. He didn't catch anything at all, so it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. He says, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, then I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon, both boats were so filled with fish that they were on the verge of sinking. They filled the boat so high that the boat started sinking down into the water. When Simon Peter, verse 8, realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh, Lord, please... Leave me, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others that were with him. His partners, who were named James and John, they were the sons of Zebedee. 
His partners were also amazed. So Jesus replied to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, as soon as they got the boat back to shore, the scripture says, they, meaning Peter, James, John, they left everything and they followed Jesus. This is such an interesting story because you've probably heard us talking about being unordinary over the last several weeks. We've talked about how Jesus calls us to to embrace this invitation to a different sort of life. And you may be sitting here thinking either over the past several weeks or even this morning, you're thinking to yourself like, Dan, you've got to be talking to somebody else. When you're talking about God doing something extraordinary through a person's life, you've got to be talking about somebody else. Certainly, you can't be talking about me because my life seems so perfectly ordinary, right? Some of you guys say to yourself, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing like fancy. There's nothing that Jesus should look at me and say, oh, I want to do something big in your life. I'm just a normal, everyday person. You might think God might want to do something through somebody who has the right mindset. You know, they just got big faith and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to conquer the world, you know, through Jesus. You might think to yourself, God might want to do something through somebody who has education, somebody that's gone to seminary, somebody who understands what the heck the Bible says. That ain't me. I can't do that. You may think to yourself, you don't have what you need that you're just a regular, ordinary person, and Jesus is looking for something more, something or someone special. But you know what we find in the Scripture? We find that Jesus is ultimately looking for ordinary people. He's not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for normal, everyday folks like you and me. You may say to yourself, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be the pope. I'm not going to teach any you know, kids' classes. Like, I don't know. That's not me. I'm not that kind of person. I'm just a normal, everyday sort of person. The great news is that's precisely what God's looking for. That's precisely what Jesus is after. Yeah, Peter eventually goes on to become an apostle. Um, He becomes kind of the first leader in the early church, but he didn't start out that way. Peter and his buddies, James and John, they were very ordinary people. They were essentially nobodies when all of this kicked off. It's like we forget that unordinary often starts with very ordinary people and situations. Look back here in in Luke chapter number uh, five. Let me show you a couple things here that that might've escaped your attention. The scripture says that there were these three guys, these fishermen, Peter, James, and John. And when this whole situation comes about, they were just fishing. They were doing their business. They were going about their daily routine. The scripture tells us that they were fishermen who were working in their dad's business. They were just continuing the family trade. In their day, being a fisherman was basically like the most blue-collar job you could possibly do. These were the guys who, they were uneducated, 
They had not had any sort of formal training or anything like that. They just did what their dad did. In in Texas, where I grew up, we would call them rednecks. That's the word that we would use for them, right? They're uneducated. They're just simple country folk, that sort of thing. When we lived in Florida, we called them hillbillies. That was the word that we used for them, okay? Uh, Here in Alberta, we call them Manitobans. They're just people who... Okay, I'm learning which provinces I can make fun of. Apparently, Manitoba's good. All right. No, seriously, these were not special guys. They weren't educated. Literally, back in their day, they would get religious education until they were 12 or 13 years old, and then most of them stopped. They never went any further than that. So these were not like really worldly guys. They didn't travel all over the countryside. They didn't come from wealth. It's not like they had a great religious education. In fact, every Jewish boy would go through this religious training, this religious education, and when they hit 12 years old, then the rabbi, the leader of their local synagogue, would come through and he would say, "Mm, you seem like you have some potential. Why don't you come for extra training? But if you didn't have potential, he would look at you and say, you know, you're a great kid. You really are. Why don't you go into the family business? I think you are so well suited to be a fisherman. And that's what happened to Peter. Peter went into dad's business because he didn't have any other options. He wasn't educated. He didn't come from wealth. He was passed over by his local rabbi because he really didn't show enough promise to gain advanced training. Peter and James and John were so ordinary. There was nothing special about these guys in the beginning. And so when you say to yourself like, oh, I'm normal, I'm average, there's nothing special about me, then you're in good company. Because Jesus takes very normal, ordinary people, and he does extraordinary things through them each and every day. Jesus is looking for regular folks like me and you who are willing to step in and say, hey, I'm here, do what you can with me, Jesus, and watch him do amazing, mind-blowing, earth-shattering, world-changing things each and every day. I don't know why we're so quick to miss this. I don't know why we forget that ordinary, or unordinary rather, starts in the middle of very ordinary circumstances and lives. You think to yourself, I'm nobody, I've got no skills, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad month, I'm having a bad life, like I've just got nothing that God would want from me right now. But I want you to understand that ordinary Uh, it's the kind of springboard for unordinary. Unordinary doesn't happen unless we start with ordinary, regular, normal, everyday folks like me and for you. One of the things that this passage teaches us is that that, rather, I'm sorry, I need to make sure I get this straight. One of the things that this passage teaches us is that ordinary people just like me and you become unordinary when Jesus steps on the scene. That it's not about like, oh, I'm the chosen one. And man, I've been prepping for this since birth. Like all along, I've known that I was meant for something big. No, when it comes to Jesus and his invitation to live differently than the rest of the world, you don't have to be special. You don't have to have amazing skills. You don't have to be educated. 
All you have to do is make yourself available to him and you'll find that he's able to do things in you and through you that you would have never, ever imagined. Because it starts with ordinary people, normal folks, old and young, educated, uneducated, lots of church history, no church history at all. It doesn't matter. He starts with ordinary people, just like me and you. Then we see in this passage that these ordinary people offer their very ordinary resources to Jesus. Hey, uh, this blows my mind. When you read through this passage, you find out that Jesus didn't choose Peter because he was the village elder. He wasn't. He didn't choose Peter because he had a strong religious education. He was a leader in the church. He wasn't those things. He didn't choose Peter because he was educated or because he was wealthy. He didn't choose Peter, rather, because he was a first century rock star and everywhere he went, everybody knew who Peter was. And so Jesus is like, dang, I got to get him on my squad. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of cultural cachet if I can get him on the team. No, Peter was a nobody. When you read this passage, do you know why Jesus chose Peter? Because he had a boat. That's it. That's the only reason that he chose Peter. Because Peter happened to have a boat in that moment that he would let Jesus use. Go back here to the scripture. Look at it again. All that Jesus was looking for was a boat. He saw a boat, he stepped into it, and he called to Peter and said, hey, Peter, is it cool if I use your boat? That's it. It was a very ordinary guy offering very ordinary resources to Jesus, and that's all that Christ was looking for. You see, Jesus, he's not looking for the few, the special, the uncommon, the ones who are already unordinary. No, he is looking for ordinary people who will become unordinary through his power. And, and, and in case you get the wrong idea, this isn't like a one-off thing. It's not like this was the one time where Jesus took an ordinary person and some very ordinary resource and did a miracle with it. No, this was Jesus' MO. This is what he did like every single day. So think about it. We've got this story of Jesus using a boat. Then we've got stories where Jesus takes a little boy's sack lunch and he feeds thousands of people, right? Ordinary, normal kid, regular bologna sandwich. It wasn't bologna, but it was like a fish sandwich. And he multiplies it and he does a miracle. There was a time where Jesus took a herd of pigs. A guy was a farmer and he had a big herd of pigs and he uses the pigs in order to do a miracle. Think about Christmas and the manger. Jesus borrows a stable so that he can be born, right? When he is coming in on Palm Sunday and he's coming into Jerusalem, what does he do? He borrows somebody's donkey, and he rides into the city of Jerusalem. Think about the biggest miracle of all that Jesus did. He borrowed somebody's tomb in order to perform this huge, amazing, world-changing miracle. See, we sit back and we say, I've got nothing. I'm a nobody. What could I possibly offer? And time and time again, Jesus says, I'm looking for ordinary people who will take their simple, ordinary resources, put them in my hand, and let me do what only I can do. You don't need to be special. You just need to be available. You don't need to have it all together. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to trust that Jesus can do things through you that you would never be able to do on your own. All he's looking for is for you to be available. And so I wonder, like, what do you have 
that you could offer Jesus. Now, don't sit there and say, well, I don't have anything. No, that's, this is what I'm trying to tell you. We all have something. It's not like you have nothing at all. It may not be something huge. It may not be something you even realize yet. But I wonder what you have that you could offer to Jesus and allow him to change the world with. What do you have? Probably not a fishing boat, although you might have a fishing boat. That might be your thing. If you do, then find a way to use it. Maybe you've got a home and you're like, oh, I could use my home to host a small group or to be hospitable to people who are in need. Maybe you've got a musical talent. You could play the drums or the banjo or whatever the heck is going on over here. Like you've got skills, right? I, I was gonna, I, it's a keyboard. That's about all I know at this point. Um, you've got this ability and you could lead out in worship. You've never considered that because you're like, I've only ever played bars. So what? You've got a capability that you could offer to Jesus. Maybe you've got a green thumb. Maybe you've got a photographer's eye. Maybe you're one of those folks that just makes everybody feel welcome and at home and comfortable in a new environment, right? Maybe you've got a strong back and you could help us, you know, raise up speakers each and every Sunday. I just wonder what you've got that you've been saying all along, well, this isn't going to make any difference. Like, Jesus doesn't need my boat. That's stupid. What would he ever do with my boat? Turns out quite a bit. Jesus doesn't need my kitchen. What would he ever do with my kitchen? Turns out he can do a whole lot. Jesus, what's he ever going to do with my whatever? Fill in the blank. And what you find is that ordinary people offering ordinary resources to the Savior are able to transform the world. We could say it like this. What you have is not half as important as what you let him do with what you have. If you give it to him, I promise you, he can use it. But if you continue to say, I'm a nobody and I've got nothing worth giving, then he won't use it because he's waiting for you to offer it. So we've got ordinary people, we've got ordinary resources, but we've got an extraordinary savior. This is the difference. This is where the story starts to turn. Because ultimately, this is a story about Jesus. It's not a story about Peter. It's not a story about James and John. It's not a story about anybody except Christ. He's the extraordinary one. We've got ordinary people with ordinary resources, but we've got an extraordinary Savior. If you continue to look at this passage here, he tells uh, Peter, get in the boat. I want to use your boat for a little bit. And then he says, okay, now I want you to cast off the shore. I want you to go out into the water a little bit, and we are going to catch some fish. And I can just imagine Peter saying like, look, look, Jesus, okay, I already let you use my boat, okay? But like I was packing up. You understand, I was at the end of my shift. I had been fishing all night long. I hadn't caught anything at all. I was packing up so I could go home, and then you showed up and kind of took over my boat. Jesus went from total stranger to captain of the boat like that, and Peter must have been thinking like, okay, Jesus, it's cool. I'm glad I can help, but listen, I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. Why don't you stick to what you know, and I'll stick to what I know? Because what Jesus was asking Peter to do was stupid. It was completely ridiculous. You see, the way they fished in their day was cast fishing. They would use a net. And so at night, when it was cooler, because remember, this is the Middle East, it's hot. And so when it's cool at night, the fish would come up to the surface and they would feed. And then in the daytime, when it got hot, they would sink down to the bottom and then they would repeat the cycle at night. So fishermen only fished at night. That was the only time you could catch fish because it was the only time when it was near the surface and they could throw the net in. And then Jesus steps in and he's 
he's like, okay, I know it's about like 11 in the after in the morning, you know, but I want you to cast out and I want you to throw your nets in and we're going to catch some fish together. And Peter must have been like, no, this doesn't make sense. Seriously, you can't expect me to do this. That's working a double shift. And I can promise you, we're not going to get anything. This is a waste of both of our times. Every bit of common sense was telling Peter, don't do this. Don't, no, this is not going to work at all. And yet, the scripture tells us that because he trusts Jesus, because he's willing to take the simple, the ordinary things that he has, and he's able to be obedient or willing to be obedient with it, the scripture says that Jesus blesses him in ways that he couldn't have possibly imagined. That this extraordinary savior takes the little bit that Peter had and he multiplies it and he grows it. And then he says, hey man, this is all yours. I'm not gonna claim it. This isn't my fish. I mean, technically I'm responsible for this, but I'm not taking a tax. I'm not saying you gotta give me the money or the fish or anything like that. He says, Peter, this is the sort of stuff that happens when you follow after me. You might be sitting here this morning and, and you've got a whole boatload of excuses, right? Tons of reasons why. You could never serve here at Connect. You couldn't make a difference in your neighborhood. Why, you're not the right person. You know, you've got excuse after excuse after excuse, just like Peter would have had. It's not the right time to fish, Jesus. We've already put the nets away. This is a dumb idea. You've got all of these excuses, and if you allow those excuses to keep you from following Jesus, or if you allow your fears to keep you from following Jesus, then you are going to miss out on the extraordinary. You're going to miss out on the unordinary life that God has for you. But you've got to be willing to step out. You've got to be willing to take the little bit that you have and to give it to him. Listen, when you do that, it doesn't matter if you have knowledge. It doesn't matter if you have education. It doesn't matter if you have skills. It doesn't matter if you have answers. It doesn't matter if you know how this is all going to end up. What matters is Jesus. He is the extraordinary one. I'm not extraordinary. I am an absolute nobody. I love you, but you're not particularly extraordinary either. We are not going to change the world ourselves, but through Jesus, anything is possible. Because he is the one that makes the difference. That's why normal everyday people like me and you, we can offer the little tiny simple things that we have and boom, Jesus, God, they use it to transform everything. If you will obey Jesus, there is nothing that will stop you from accomplishing the mission that he has for you. There is nothing that will hold back the, the blessings that he wants to pour out on you. If you will continue to offer what little bit you have to the extraordinary Savior, I promise you, you will see God do the miraculous in you and through you. It is the extraordinary Savior that makes us unordinary when, in fact, we're just normal, everyday, ordinary people. I don't have time to, to kind of tease this out too much, so we're gonna, I'm going to put this up here, and then we're going to move beyond it really, really quickly. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind, and maybe you can wrestle through this, that a life of meaning requires you to be a means to some greater end. Everybody walks around like, oh, I want my life to matter. I want to have purpose. I want meaning in life. And what we fail to realize is that if you want meaning, you actually have to be a means to some other end. You cannot be the end in and of yourself. 
Do you know what we call somebody who considers themselves the end? Like, I'm the reason that all of this exists. I'm the end goal out of everything. We call him a narcissist. We call him a megalomaniac. You might call him Mr. President. We call them all these, just jokes, you guys, just jokes. We, anybody who would say, I am the end, I am the reason, this is all about and for me, we would say, no, you're crazy. We can't be the end. We are the means to the end. And so if you want meaning, then you've got to give your life as a means to some greater end. That greater end is found in the extraordinary Savior who can do what you can't do, who can take the little bit that you might have and multiply it and use it to bring transformation. We've got ordinary people with ordinary resources turning over their lives to an extraordinary Savior for an extraordinary mission. We're going to end with this. Man, I really hope that you'll get this. I mean, Jesus took a, he took a bit of a calculated risk here with Peter, you know, because he blessed Peter with all these fish. Understand, this was like months and months worth of salary, essentially, in catching all of these fish. He could have sold that. He could have become like fairly wealthy pretty quickly, and he could have just taken it easy. He could have been like, wow, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. You need my boat anytime. Let me know. He could have done that. He also could have tried to market this, you know, and leverage it for himself. He, he could have come up with this whole new fishing system. Trust Jesus, get fish, you know? And he could have tried to sell this to somebody. But instead, the scripture says that as soon as they got to shore, Peter, who had just come into the largest windfall he was ever going to have, he walked away from it. And he followed after Jesus to become fishers of men. Do you know why? Because there is something more important than money in this world. Do you know why? Because there is something more important than being liked and accepted by everybody. There is something more important than the title at the end of your name. You see, when you get right down to it, the reason that Jesus came to earth, the reason that he invites us to live this unordinary life, the reason that he blesses us is not so that we can just enjoy all of God's goodness and live fat on the hog and enjoy everything. No, he actually saves us so that we can participate in his mission to save people. This is ultimately what it's about. It's not about the fish. It's not about the business. It is about the people. At Connect, we are all about people because that seems to be what God is all about. He's about people. He is on a mission, a rescue mission, and he invites us to be a part. And you're like, no, 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 I can't do that. I never went to seminary and I don't have a big house and I don't have any money to give. So what? What little you do have, make it available to the extraordinary Savior and he will use it to accomplish his mission. Can I beg you to invest your life into something that will outlast your life. You could spend every day earning money. One day you're gonna die and your kids are gonna blow all the cash that you saved for them. You can have the nicest house on the block and 40, 50 years from now, you're not gonna want it anymore because it's old and run down. You could have the affirmation and acceptance of all the people in your office and one day you're gonna look around and you're like, none of this even matters. It's all temporary. You can lose it on a dime. But Jesus calls us to invest our life in something eternal, something that will outlast the 60, 70, 80 years that we might have. Invest your life into something that will outlast your life. You don't have to be special. You don't have to have a lot, but you have to take what you've got and place it in Jesus' hands.